Oh hey! Welcome, dearest listener, to episode one of our little four-part series interviewing assorted creative Irish peeps. This episode, myself and a tender hungover Ryan spoke to Mr. Christopher Quigley. The Cheryl Holmes message you about where to send the recording, I suppose. Was I meant to be recording? Oh, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Oldest recording engineer joke in the book, boys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh somehow got me. <laughs> Audio extraordinaire based in Limerick City, County Limerick. Ah. Oh. I'd rather tag over with this triple. <laughs> Alrighty, look, um, yeah, I'm gonna go do my bit. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna normalize that and send it on to you later, okay? <laughs> so, grab a libation, wet your whistle, sit back, and enjoy. <laughs> Grant, so, right, so, Christopher Martin Quigley. Yes. <laughs> Christopher, Chris, Christopher Martin, Chris Martin, is what? there? Is there a thing is, going on is there? there? Uh, is there, yeah, uh, a bit of a Coldplay kind of thing going on there. Yeah, what's uh, up, I will man? absolutely leave this call. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I like, it's a really annoying thing that that still shows up on my, my email because I'm obviously not very Catholic, so I don't use my middle name. But when I lived in Japan, there's no such thing as a middle name. So when they see your passport, they think your first name is Christopher Martin. So all my legal documents had oh. to have Christopher Martin as my first name, which didn't fit on a single fucking page ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Damn. Okay. There you go. That's why everyone knows my middle name. I didn't know you lived in Japan. When did you live in Japan? Uh, 2014, just for a year. Um, uh. Yeah, during, during the height of the recession, uh, my girlfriend at the time was living out there. And I just saved up for a summer and I moved out there for a year and I taught English. And uh, yeah, it was really good crack. Lived in the south. It's really, really hot in a city called Oita. Mm. It's cool. We had like really nice food and uh, the occasional earthquake and, um, you know, no <laughs> crime. And reasonably good crack, considering there's very few English speakers in the city. But, you know, culture-wise, uh, like gigs and stuff like that, it's just a whole different thing. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't think I realized until I left Ireland how many people in Ireland per capita play music compared to the rest of the world. Like, it's kind of it's right. almost unusual in Japan to play music. You know, that was like, you know, you'd have one friend who played music. Oh. Uh, yeah, because you've got to go to a music school and learn it. You know, like, I, I don't know if you guys ever, like, had your first, like, guitar or whatever lesson, but in most Irish towns and villages, I think it's usually, like, a fella in a pub kind of half balding, and it's like, oh, yeah, he used to be in cover bands. He'll show you, like, your cowboy chords, and uh, yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah, what yeah. gets you starting most of the time. Uh, that culture doesn't really exist in lots of other countries. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it usually does have to be formal, like, and uh, it's mad. Like, my cousin lives in Poland, and she, uh, you know, she lives in a pretty big city, and... Like her only options really were to learn classical guitar through an institution, like not to no no uh there's no fella you could buy four pints of stout once a week to like give your kid a lesson a lesson. <laughs> That's a shame, yeah. isn't it? 
and not not as many people just kind of giving like just having the, having the crack at it kind of thing. Yeah, it's all more formalized. Like like you know like the idea of like performing. You know that's in a venue. The band has to book the venue. It's all that like kind of pay to play stuff. Like they have to sell drink tickets and stuff. Oh. All the venues in Oita were like oh. that. You, yeah, yeah. It seemed phenomenally expensive to be a musician in Japan, to be honest. Yeah, fuck that. So what kind, what kind of gigs did you go to? Uh, I actually went to a grindcore gig in a town called Beppu. So there was like one nice. one bar called Raven. Beppu was kind of a university town, and uh, they had lots of Americans in. So there was like. The like it was a Japanese owned bar, but those guys all had pretty good English and they were pretty tuned in. So like I went to a, an unbelievable grindcore gig there. I actually got a rib cracked uh, <laughs> by a, a guy Sweet. with a pair of new rocks on just was letting feet fly and just got me straight in the chest. And uh, oh, I, God. yeah, yeah. Pretty rock and roll, though. I have a hole in my rib cage from that. So it's always a good story. Um, I went to a traditional Irish gig in a, a place called Brick Brock in our city. My Japanese teacher brought me. Uh, that's a pretty long story. I probably told you that one, Kieran, before. Uh, it's that guy I met who uh, he used to play with an old coworker of mine. So, like during the intermission of the gig, I I end up meeting the musicians and they're asking us all where we're from, and uh, I tell them I'm from Ireland. They're like, oh, you know, like you know, obviously we play Irish music. Where in Ireland? And they're like, I was like, I'm from Clare, and they're like, do you know this place? Tuda Tuda, and I was like, Tola, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, do you know Andrew? Because he's a squeeze box player I know who lived in Tola and played with Japanese musicians. And mm. uh, they were like, oh, yeah, we know Andrew. And I was like, holy <laughs> fuck, that's great. And I was like that's bowing with these guys. And as I'm bowing with them, I remember that uh, Andrew told me a story of, of a Japanese man he used to play with who ended up moving in with him a while. And the reason he ended up moving in with him was because he uh, was tried for manslaughter and was lying low. His uh, his his wife found him in bed Ooh. with another woman and allegedly uh, she fell down the stairs and <laughs> he spent like a year in the court system and then moved to moved to Ireland. So I'm like bowing with this guy and I'm realizing this, that uh, I'm like, holy shit, this is that guy who fucking nearly got done for killing his wife. <laughs> so oh I kind of spend, yeah, spend the next 20 minutes like probing him with questions to try and verify. I'm like, you know, Andrew's kind of... He's kind of a grumpy guy, right? And I was like really trying to verify it was the same dude. And I was like, yeah, this has to be him. So uh, that freaked the shit out of me. Well, like a trad gig in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> That's that the last thing. If you, if you get offered the a trad last, gig in Japan, don't go. <laughs> don't fucking go. Yeah, go to the grindcore and get your, get your ribs broken. Yeah, it's actually much Don't go to the trad gig with the murderers. <laughs> <laughs> That's mental. It's the last thing you expect, like going to live in Japan for a year. <laughs> yeah, ten thousand miles away, they know this guy in this village, and I realize I have a bit of gossip about this man from that guy in that village, and like, Mad. what the fuck? Jesus Christ! So, um, so how would you how would you describe what you do? Uh, um, that's a good question. Uh. I mean, I, I think I principally identify as a recording engineer. I think that's like that's hmm. I, I, what I trained as. So I did four years in LIT studying music production and uh, kind of what I always specialized in was the technical side. So uh, recording live bands, recording like like ensembles, uh, acoustics, electronics, that kind of more technical side. But over the years, I've kind of allowed that to connect more with my creative side as a musician. So I'm kind of some in between blob at the moment kind of a producer in the sense that sometimes i do that work 
and a mix engineer and other things, but also a repair guy a lot of the time as well. Um, Hmm. I kind of find people just come to me with jobs and I either can say, yeah, I can do that or no, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And kind of, and kind of I suppose, learn, learning through through getting the challenging ones, I suppose, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some product, some projects are very, very educational in that you like, you're like, yeah, I can do this. And then like a weekend, you're like, oh, I'm completely over my head. <laughs> and you got to go mm-hmm. and like study up fast to try and get it ready. Yeah. So how do you... How, so... How did that kind of that interest uh, develop? Do you reckon? Uh, um, so I I suppose I was about sixteen and I was really into like uh, bands like Sonic Youth and I was getting into like Merzbau and noise music and stuff in lots of ways and uh, that like led me to an interest in like like circuit bending and electronics and my brother had moved home to study electronics at the time as well so he was showing me like mm. different things and so I was attaching contact mics to electric guitars and doing stuff like that trying to uh, like do really weird simple circuits and modify guitars in interesting ways and uh i also failed an entrance exam to do a bmos in cork uh i was there like to do a what uh the bmos in cork in ucc uh, i'd applied for it and i showed up 45 minutes late so i didn't get in <laughs> so uh <laughs> oh, i was kind of like oh fuck what am i gonna do and my brother was like oh you should just do the recording course in lit because i'm gonna be driving in anyway and uh, I did. And uh, I would have had maybe a mild interest in recording, but not not really much. Um, uh, I did have some fairly not great experiences of recording as a teenager through like youth projects where they'd bring in like studio guys and stuff. And they'd be like, oh, we'll make a CD of your band playing. And they were always fucking mm. atrocious, <laughs> shocking and not pleasant. And uh, so... I, I think that kind of also spurred me to get into recording as like a discipline where I was like, I just record bands as I actually want to be recorded and not yeah. go, not go. This needs some fucking disco Tom laser sounds in the middle or whatever. <laughs> um, and I came into it pretty hardline like that. And I stayed that way for a very long time. Uh, it's only kind of in the last few years I've kind of accepted that sometimes people want input and that that's probably my job then to give it. <laughs> So, um, is your is your approach then fairly kind of? I mean, obviously, I have experience, uh, you know, being recorded by you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like, would you say you kind of more of the the kind of laid back kind of in the background sort of recorder, or you or do you kind of make it quite collaborative, or what's your kind of approach there? It depends on what the the artist wants from me. Definitely, I mean, uh, mm. I was always of the view that like I I wouldn't because i have a pretty fucked up taste in music and i was really into engineers like yeah. steve albini and stuff who also have pretty fucked up taste in music and their whole thing was like well you know if you're recording a pop band and you know you've been listening to grindcore the night before you might really not have too much to say on the whole thing like, you know, maybe your input is actually is actually a bad thing like maybe maybe yeah. that's like <clears throat> you going oh well you should have this really cool fuzz tone or whatever maybe that's just not appropriate um and i think with some projects it is very much that way where I kind of, I come in and I kind of do more or less what they ask. They're like, I want it to sound like this and uh, I'll implement whatever technical things are. And maybe the odd time with a bit of input go, oh, well, look, if if you want that kind of a guitar sound, you should use this kind of guitar or you should, you know, you shouldn't use that kind of a bass drum if you want that kind of a bass drum sound. You should, you should rent a Mm. different one. Um, But then with like, say with yourselves or say with like, um, so Young Smith, Liam, who I was recording with, 
we're kind of working song by song and uh like there there's elements of collaboration there's like things that like bands like yourselves would be very definite on and then there's things maybe where you're less definite on them and at that point it's like there's kind of input and to and fro and uh you know you suggest things and people are like oh i like that or that sounds shit you're an idiot or whatever like you know and, and you kind of work that way and i'm quite comfortable doing that um Sometimes it's things like bands want like a string arrangement or they want vocal harmonies and they don't know how to do that. You know, they like lots of people play music by instinct, especially in like like indie, indie music and in metal and stuff like that. There's not a huge emphasis on training and there doesn't need to be. So my, my job would be like, oh, someone's like, oh, well, I want a violin section. Like, well, I'll go away and write those parts and show them. And then if they suck, I'll or if they think they suck, I'll change them, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're all, you're always trying to find the right balance between engineer and producer, like. Yeah, I I I kind of I I kind of feel if the band doesn't come out the end of it, uh, knowing knowing a bit more than they did at the start, if they haven't gotten better at re- being recorded, say, then I probably also let them down. In that I think oh, yeah. it's always a tremendously educational experience to be in a, in a, in a studio if you're not used to it. So I'm I'm more than happy to show people things or to get them to try things and compare it. And uh, kind of get them to see where I'm coming from. It makes my life easier because now they can see where I'm coming from a little bit more. And it makes their life easier in that if they do another project with someone else, they know a little bit about what's going on. You know, I, I yeah. never like the idea mm. of, of, a, of an artist being unempowered during the process of making their own music. I think that's unbelievably bogus. I, I don't really know how much that happens, but I personally myself, I do worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I mean, yeah, like I definitely, that's all... Like I definitely got all of that when when you're recording us. Like, yeah, you just made it a very comfortable, kind of enjoyable experience, you know. And um, yeah, and like you you just show us how things work. And like most of the time, like you know, I I just be like yeah, I don't really understand anything you said, but it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I'm glad that you're kind of share, share, sharing it, kind of thing, you know. I'm I'm, I'm glad and, I'm um, glad you had the prudence to keep the session moving in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like we like we obviously like we went in having some kind of vague ideas of what we wanted to do and like you know i, I was actually just listening to uh, oceanic the isis album and i know that was one of the references we kind of we put to you in terms of sound but then being there there's plenty of bits then where kind of you would suggest stuff or there would be like a, a definite back and forth and like you know collaborative kind of creative process going on which is really which is really cool i i think it was really cool the way with, with you in particular you were very openly like we want you to be the fourth member of the group and i was like cool i'm yeah. now like ringo to the band or whatever um so like you know i I'd, I'd come along and like i think the fact that like we had like these very clear aesthetics set from that stuff was great but then there was all this non-metal based music we wanted to pull from. So like I was listening to the latest low record double negative a lot. And there was mm. lots of elements of that. I felt fed into it towards the mixing stage. Um, but you know, there was like, there's the whole, like, you know, I like, I like writing the intermissions was really, really fun. And it was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, you know, I've never, I've never had that kind of level of onus where it was like, you know, essentially, like, there's, like, just little sections that I've just completely written that you guys have to, you know, approve of or not approve of, whatever. And that's very trusting, and a lot that would be very unusual, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. We were very, we were, yeah, extremely trusting, I suppose. Um, like, for me, like, 
for me, from my uh, perspective anyway, I was literally like, you know, just fucking complete freedom, basically. <laughs> you know, just... Yeah. I'm pretty Lockdown sure, like, I was pretty hit, sure so it was going to be cool. Also fucked. <laughs> Hmm? You know, our original plan of improvising those uh, those interludes oh, yeah. was just schmecked because lockdown hit. And so it was like, oh, well, we do want to get this done. So I'd better just do something like that. Uh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But I definitely I definitely had like a lot of faith for sure. Like I, I, I was definitely like, you know, I'm pretty sure whatever Chris does is going to be cool. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, and then when we heard him, the interviews, I was like, yeah, they're, they're fucking sick. And really provide like such a... Like they really, they really tie the album together and make it a complete thing. They really bring the experience. room together. Yeah, um, they really do. <laughs> they they uh, <laughs> they were a lot of fun to make. The original idea was to run them out onto tape machine, but I just ended up not doing that. But a lot of them are like I sampled Alex's guitar feeding back, and I'd loop that. And again, that's kind of like a my bloody Valentine, oh. like Loveless thing to do. But mm. I was like, that's cool. Now the guitar is just like a, te- a pure texture and I can distort that more and manipulate it and dub it and stuff. And there's a couple of tracks where there's that. And there's a couple of tracks of me playing bowed, bowed guitar and then like just loads of like synths through a big muff and stuff like that. And yeah, it's all just very atmospheric. And uh, it's a thing I, I think sometimes I talk about with guys when I'm trying to write, like they want an extra part in a song is like avoiding writing a part that's too interesting, um, which sounds really dumb. But like it's actually really important sometimes to be able to write stuff that uh that sits in the background, you know? Yeah, isn't kind of too showy, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't need to rip shit. It's an interlude. Like you just it just needs to be cool and maybe evolve over time or whatever. Uh so like mm. I'll give you an example now if you'd like of a project I'm just starting. Um Absolutely. So I'm doing an album with the shaking and we're going recording drums in about a week. So they've sent me a set of demos they did themselves. Owen did MLPT in UL, so he can he can record fine. Um, mm. So they've been recording demos away, and they've like a SoundCloud of them done. So mm. I kind of have a page of notes that I'll probably send on, just little things about aesthetics and stuff like that. They'll probably get back to me if they have certain things where like maybe they have arrangement ideas they're not sure of, or maybe they want to record a song in sections and stuff like that. And uh, we kind of hash all those bits out. Uh, and that's called pre-production and that would be really important I think like I think it was the same with Ye we spent an awful lot of time on those click tracks and stuff driving each other demented um, oh god but, oh god yeah 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 but but it was it was really <laughs> worth going through that extra effort of doing all of that stuff because it meant you sure. a much clearer idea of what you were going in doing uh, I think that's usually where yeah. the, the, the big mistake happens is when people just rock in half cocked uh, with no no absolutely uh, no work done before and yeah. it's like oh well what and they are just we doing think they need to just record it mm. and that's it because yeah it makes yeah the, that... it makes the songs much somewhere. clearer in, in your mind like I, that's, that's, that's what i found like through the click tracks like obviously like by the end i think we've thrown out pretty much all the click tracks i think because i was just not really able but like but it was a very important process because there's a lot of sections that i kind of that became yeah much clearer in my mind as to how they actually worked and how the rhythms kind of worked. Like there was one bit in, um, I think it's Zipperface where it's like, um, there's the middle section with the kind of the weird off time kind of thing, um, and the click track for that was an absolute like nightmare to play to. But it made me realize like, just how the rhythm of that section worked. And I kind of like realized how the sort of the imaginary downbeat worked in terms of it, and, like going on and off and stuff. Mm. Which 
I think made it like a bit tighter to play, even though I wasn't like to an exact. Pitch. I, I I think so. But, um, I think rehearsing with the click was really was really beneficial for the whole group because, mm. and, and I think even for myself because you were practicing in a storage container, and so when I'm hearing the demos and I'm hearing these strange rhythms, I'm like, okay, this does feel on purpose. But also, I've I've had times like that where bands are rehearsing in spaces where it's hard to hear, and then they're like, oh no, that's not what that's meant to be. You know, yeah. uh, when it's yeah, really loud yeah, yeah. and it's like sitting in your ears like that, it's super hard to tell. Um, so, uh, get the subtleties. yeah, just to go and answer Ryan's question. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, if you go in and you just start, if you just set up mics and you fucking rock off, it can be, it can go fine. But if a band has a really like specific thing they're going for, uh, it's probably not a great idea because uh, you're now probably going to try and have to undo things that you did on day one when you could have just gotten it right with a few hours extra prep. Um, so it, it, it's often, it's often the, the, the big overlooked thing is uh, making sure everyone's on the same page on day one. Uh, mm. If you get that, it usually all falls into place. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and that kind of, it's the same like with every aspect of it, I suppose, as well. Even like, I think we were talking about um, drum recording uh, recently. I think you were telling me about like you were recording drums or someone and they were like, just kind of maybe slightly exasperated with how long it was taking to get the drums like set up and you know i remembered like us like setting like we'd, we'd go in at like 12 o'clock or something and like spend two or maybe three hours setting up the drums and tuning them and getting them bang on but then <laughs> yeah. spending that time is so important because Holy you get fuck. like the good drum sound is the foundation yeah yeah everyone gets exasperated with how long it takes to set up the drums and it's like well it, like the payoff is really there usually i particularly in those situations yeah. because you were gigging in between we were taking the drum heads on and off so we had to completely reset the kit every two weeks when we were doing those sessions and so i we kept like recordings of each drum individually hit as a reference for that oh and uh it worked great i mean like it, we were able to keep it all really consistent but yeah uh, like you know it's it's um it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, there. It's, yeah. it's a hard thing to yeah. do if you're not if you're not in a purpose built. That doesn't sound fun. Uh, it's fun for me <laughs> and Kieran. Alex, Alex, and Anto were not having a good time. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the drum sessions in general were excruciating for Alex because he wasn't playing guitar either. So he was just in the studio with me, just being like, "I'm bored." Yeah. 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 <laughs> Playing with drums for hours. Yeah, I can picture him getting very grumpy about that. Yeah. There's always one very bored person at each at each like, you know, section of recording, I think. There's always one person inevitably just sat there going like, Oh yeah, I'm doing buckle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, listen to that it's... take again. Oh yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I really uh, I really encourage people to not come if they don't have a job to do. I'm always like, you know, you yeah. you can totally just go and like get a sandwich and bring us a can of coke in a while and that's great. You know, if especially with things when people are doing like vocals and stuff like that, if they're in any way uncomfortable, I often just tell the whole band to fuck off. I'm like, get out. Because, uh, you know, usually this person's like singing over the band, trashing away or whatever and there's like there's like they're not self-conscious about it but now there's a microphone i'm probably looking at them or trying not to look at them and now there <laughs> might be three other people also in the room while they're doing it and it's it's no that's yeah. not that's not a psychologically great environment to do that no no uh, but it depends it's all it's all it's all project by project i mean like Liam yesterday now we've been working on time so it's really easy and because there's only really him involved for the most part it's grand there's no there's no downtime at all 
he had a base in the boot of his car and we were like oh we might use it and then liam was like it's completely broken so he was practicing for guitar overdubs and i fixed his base i just had to resolder it and reset the neck and a few other things and uh then by the time we kind of had the guitars down the bass was actually ready for use and we threw the bass down and we we're like cool let's go for lunch you know hmm. yeah yeah and, that, and that's a really enjoyable process as well in a way like um, like when because like like speak, going back to our recording again like it was yeah like it was the three weekends of doing drums and bass like no guitar at all but then it seemed like a really nice process when you and alex were working away just kind of tipping away like you know a day here and a day there on the guitars and the vocals and but yeah i imagine oh, we that's being quite complete, enjoyable we were being complete well. children yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah it, it, was, it was a lot of it was just extreme sound making and so you can only make one really horrible guitar sound a day you know like like running an eq <laughs> absolutely you... cranked into a fuzz into something else and it just it burns your brain right yeah like one of the sessions was a belt sander into a wah pedal into a fuzz into <laughs> an amp you know and you oh, do that for yeah. like an hour and like you get okay that's a cool belt sander noise you know uh, <laughs> and, and then i'm like okay my head is completely fried i've done a full day's work and we've done this belt sander chaos shit and uh now maybe we should leave it <laughs> and yeah, that was yeah. great i think we made better decisions by spacing it out definitely definitely because there's always that like that moment you come to where you're like you recognize that you and everyone else has the numb head syndrome kicking in. You're like, right, it's time to, it's time to leave. Yeah, as soon as you feel that energy <laughs> level dropping, you gotta, you gotta take a break. And a home studio situation is great like that because uh, you can just do two hours a week. And like most people, I, I kind of have a, a straight job. I like would work during the day. So, uh, or nowadays I work during the evenings. So not that I've gotten to do any recording really during lockdown, but I'd probably have people in during the day uh, when that's possible. Uh, it's when you've booked a studio and you're paying for the time that you have to just like take frequent breaks and maximize your utilization. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's, it's like, I was kind of even considering recently cause a lot of people have been setting up project studios, the idea of eventually setting up my own facility. And it's like, I mean, the benefit basically is just convenience for me. <laughs> That's really <laughs> it. <laughs> That's it. I just don't have to log stuff anymore. It's pure laziness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of shit to lug. Yeah, it is. And uh, I suppose like on a clarifying point, I kind of I do a lot of location recording, which is, um, you know, so I have a portable setup and I can like I, I would rent studios like we rented a studio that time and I'd bring a fair whack of my stuff in and uh, you'd bring your bits. But uh, like the last few things I've worked on, we've just been in like an unused pub and we've opened up all the doors and gotten the ventilation going and worn masks and worked. And that's like. Fail Nagrena, we were doing a documentary, so we were recording in 5.1. So uh, I'd be there to set up and I'd get um, impulse responses of the room for surround sound. Um, I think Kieran's a little bit of experience of this, where I make you bring balloons to the studio. Oh, yeah. And, uh, make you bring balloons. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what are the balloons for? <laughs> See, I wouldn't tell them until we got there and they started popping them. And I don't think I told them until I showed them. So the idea, Ryan, is... Um, uh, basically, if you can fire off a sound that's fairly instantaneous, you can get a good idea of the character of a room based on like the decay of that sound. So the pop uh. and the proceeding. <sighs> so uh, I would basically set up a set of microphones in like a surround sound configuration, and um, I would pop these balloons in different positions and record the sounds for the documentary fairly dryish, 
And uh, then I could use these impulses to like have the reverb around the room track the camera. So like some of the shots were like, say Podge was doing it. So the camera's right in his face. So as he's moving left and right, the reverb is uh, kind of turning around you a bit. So you feel mm. the room shifting and you feel like you're actually like, it gives you a sensation of head tracking as you're moving with him. Mm. That's crazy. Um, which is really fun. And I like working in situations like that. Uh, yeah, that was technically bonkers. It took me weeks to get my head around <laughs> how to actually work. Because I don't have a surround sound head up. I, I have headphones and some software that simulates a 5.1 uh, setup. Uh, it's bananas. It's really, really weird when you, because you have to enter your like, the size of your head and stuff basically you have to measure your head <laughs> and then put all these measurements um but i always like working with like challenging spaces like that like like venues and pubs and stuff like that because they're interesting they're always different and it gives things their own kind of character i think mm, mm. and you've done um have you you've have you done you've done sound through gigs as well haven't you yeah so um for DIYLK and Phil Negrena and other things uh me and Dermot would run the the sound uh and Marty from Anna's Anchor would have uh previously so yeah we kind of like set up the first sound system in Pharmacia uh DIYLK did which was essentially old speakers that Jer managed to get from the Queen's nightclub and uh, built a stack and set up a desk and things and yeah we'd run live sound uh like that uh it's a very different ball game i wouldn't actually say i'm 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 as good at it because it's it's such a different way of thinking um mm. and you kind of have to be doing it all the time i think uh like i can run sound for a gig yeah but, uh, it's not my it's it's i i find live sound actually much more stressful than recording uh much much more stressful. i'd say so um yeah it's grand it it, it also would be money so during a week me and dermot would be working both part-time and we'd probably split the live sound gigs between us and then probably gig on the weekend so if he had a gig i'd work live sound and vice versa mm-hmm. cool so you mentioned a doi lk there so um do you want to like speak about that and how that kind of got started uh yeah uh so doik was founded by um Anna Zanker, Cruiser, and Cassavetes, which are three Limerick-based bands. And uh, we kind of did it out of a feeling that, like, uh, left-field acts weren't really able to get shows that easily um, because of the nature of booking in Ireland, or it was very expensive to do it. And we had lots of friends who were always looking for gigs. Um, and usually the way in DIY, kind of, like, indie and punk music, you do show swaps. So, you know, if they put you on in Dublin, you put them on down here. So I think Marty already was facilitating that through Toman Sessions. Uh, me and Jer and Steve from Cruiser had already been running gigs a bit with friends. Our friend Spud used to do a thing. He ran festivals and things like that, and we'd help him. So we had the experience and the know-how, and uh, we just wanted to see more of the kind of music we liked around Ireland in Limerick. So the easiest way to do it was just to run the shows. So it started with a crywank show in Marty's house, and uh, that was probably the first Great one. name. Great, Great name. name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very funny night. And, uh, then, yeah, we just, we, uh, we eventually, it kind of took place. It kind of took foot in Pharmacia because Joe was uh, working as a bar manager there and it became a monthly thing. Mm. Uh, and then we started running a festival as well as with, um, lower expectations, which is, uh, Jack Brawley and Q. And, uh, so that kind of became a free three day festival where, uh, we use sponsorship and money from the venues to pay the bands, 
But the whole idea basically with all of this stuff is that we do it entirely voluntarily and uh, the artists get all the revenue. We don't we don't take any money. The sound guy works for free. The you know, the person doing the doors the merch. Which is so fucking signed. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, well it's it's that our bands can't fucking afford to do it is is the, the yeah. bottom line, you know? It's that to you have to make that sacrifice to cultivate the scene, like Yeah, I suppose. Um and I mean like it's it's been great, like when you when you get to do things like Fail Negrena and you see all of these people that like you've helped and have helped you in kind congregating in your town that like I think I it'd be understated to say that Limerick was not exactly on the musical map uh, <laughs> ten years ago too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like half the bands we'd be inviting would be fucking terrified and they'd be pointing out, Oh, we saw horses on the way in or whatever and like, yeah man, Limerick has horses. That's like, you know, whatever. And mm. uh, now they all then they all love it. Like that shellac tour that's been booked, like my Belfast friends are all looking to come to the Limerick show and not the Dublin show. Um I think that Brilliant. says like it says a lot. It's very gratifying yeah. seeing these mm. creative communities come together and being able to be a part of that, you know. You're seeing projects happening and you're like, you know, how do these people meet? And, you know, if they kind of if you were able to help them in any way meet these like minded people across the country, then, you know, that's enormously rewarding for me anyway. Oh, that's huge. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, the the effect um, hasn't gone unnoticed in Limerick and how much the music scene in nearly every genre is just like exploding and getting bigger and bigger it's kind of tough it's definitely it's 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 so much more healthy yeah i I, i'm I'm so happy with the amount of like new artists i see coming out all the time whether i'm into the style or not it feels like people now consider it viable to like you know start a project in limerick whereas i think once upon a time if you were really serious about being like i want to be a full-time dj rapper whatever you'd probably move to either london or dublin Um, you probably move to Dublin and then get told by a manager in Dublin to move to London and that's not such a thing anymore and that's really really good Um, it's uh, it's enormously rewarding Um, I suppose the other thing is like the kind of infrastructure element so like Dermot previously wouldn't have done sound I started training him on it uh, we've other people like Keen and Leanne, a few people like that that we'd be training in on jobs in DIYLK and kind of that kind of consciousness that like going forward you know I mean, I'm 29 next week. Like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Uh, so, like, you know, someday I, someday I might just not be up for doing the live sound anymore. And, you know, there needs to be someone else who will, you know, do that. Like, someone to take the reins. Uh, mm. So I often think of it as infrastructure as well. Uh, I don't Have you ever read that book, Our Band Could Be Your Life? No. No. I think it's by Michael Azarad. I could be wrong. But it's about, like, Big Black and uh, Butthole Surfers, Sonic Youth, all of those bands. And about how the kind of explosion and development of the the punk rock underground and how that infrastructure formed allowed bands that were really left field to tour the States viably. And that kind of led to that whole alternative 90s boom in a big way was uh, because there was such a healthy ecosystem for those bands, they essentially didn't need the major label circuit. And that's when the major Mm. label circuit saw there was actually money to be made since the risk was actually relatively small. Um, which had its own fucking disastrous implications later on. But uh, it's a it's a really fascinating thing. And I think I read that, and Jer read that when we were quite young, and uh, we took a lot of inspiration from that idea that, like, you know, that's that's probably what needs to happen. Like, like artists need to help each other because no one else is going <laughs> to. Mm-hmm. Aye, yeah. Yeah, because sure, um, yeah, like, I mean, I've, like, I've been in Limerick for pretty, like, pretty much, like, eight years, I suppose, now. And 
yeah, like sure. When I was in college, you know, the 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 only bands that I would see around the place really would be you know cover bands in a couple of pubs, and then you know you'd have Dolan's would be kind of the place where we go to go to gigs, but those gigs would be a bit more of like the kind of the bigger sort of bands then that would they'd manage to get in sometimes. So yeah, the, and like yeah, yeah it's a five hundred. Kind of, it's a five hundred cap room, so you need you need a show that's going to sell three four hundred tickets. Yeah, yeah. So there'd be yeah, pretty much literally like almost might like bar the siege, and like a couple of gigs here and there, and like um, say Bakers, I think, and like Blind Pig and stuff. There wouldn't be really be any kind of you know interesting different kind of yeah left field kind of bands happening, and so yeah, it's only last couple of years like pharmacy has definitely been a, a, a big a big part of that as well and the fact that like yeah dylk and pharmacy kind of kind of started and managed to kind of get this thing going together with everything gigs there yes really really helped the city a lot with all the old music hmm. i feel like it would be remiss to not say how much good work bad rep have done um, the metal promoters who were on oh, God, um, yeah. Siege of Limerick and stuff, oh, and like John and Kieran Culhane in particular, putting in heroic work for years and years. But you need mm. you need you you need a diverse group of people helping all sorts of platforms. And likewise, you've the unseen with Ted and them, and he was always doing great work. Um, and PX Music kind of picked up the reins there on kind of helping mm. the wider hip hop community. And it was yeah, maybe maybe you you don't know who was looking at who, and things started happening. But I definitely feel like. Like uh, like a lot of momentum kicked in at a certain point, and it was like, oh yeah. wow, look, these guys are doing this stuff, and like when it became viable for PX to open like a studio just for doing their own production, I was like, that's like crazy. Like I don't think that yeah. would have been yeah. something we would have discussed ten years ago at all. Like mm, um, mm. so, there's like there's, there's lots of characters putting in like huge amounts of work, and I suppose oh, absolutely my my whole my I I, I kind of hope to be forward thinking in that I'm like. Well, we're all going to get old, so uh, who's going to take over when I just want to go to gigs on this fucking Friday and I don't want to lug an amp or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have to find some teenagers and convince them that it's a good life and there's plenty of money in it and you know, <laughs> all these yeah. job prospects. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in Start doing internships. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we probably pay as much as most internships. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll give you great exposure. <laughs> oh, God! In fairness, I, I I would say that anyone who has uh, ended up volunteering in DOLK has probably almost always had a band, and that band has almost always ended up being able to play the length of the country due to the people they've met that way, and vice versa. Mm. Obviously, those people who who would come to those gigs and would play and would you know talk and stuff like. You know, we made huge connections with people in Cork early on, Dan Walsh and guys like that in Fixity, the Altered Hours lads. And then like, same in Belfast, there was like a huge amount of uh, like the junk drawer lads and people like that who uh, instantly just kind of formed a kinship with. Um, yeah, I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, intern- internships or volunteers. Oh, internships. Or- ah, well, I, I suppose what I'm saying is that the net benefit is probably more palpable than, I don't know, interning for Hot Press or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, getting to interview Brezzy and not getting paid for it doesn't really do you much. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Is that hangover some- kicking in, Ryan? I had so- yeah, I had someone to say... And it just, it 
just walked away. It just walked right out of my mind. And disappeared. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst feeling. You can feel you can feel it leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and then the brain was like, Oh yeah, and my he- and your head sore, don't forget about that. Uh, <laughs> your brain's fucking up his priorities. So I was bringing on the mood Ladies to your place. We are naked and hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Naked and Hungover. <laughs> the, the new section uh, of the podcast. It's a sub podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so um, then, um, I, I I don't know, like, what else you'd like to cover. I can talk about my my own music, or we could talk about like. I don't know, philosophy and art or whatever, or... Uh, <laughs> nah, fuck I, that I, I shit. Don't, I don't. Mm. No, um, uh, yeah, that's what I was just about to that. ask you. I was, about, I was about to get into your own um, musical output then. So, um, yeah, like, um, was, well, was Cruiser your first... Were you in bands before Cruiser? Or was that kind of your first proper band? Or? As a teenager, yeah, I was in some... I was in some standard bad teenage bands. Um mm. Uh, with friends back in uh, Shannon. So I, I came from the same town as Alex, your guitar player. So mm. uh, Alex would remember me playing in bands where I played like probably like Yeah, Yeah, Yeah covers and like maybe uh. also then like, I don't know, a Mud Honey song or something as well. And I remember like <laughs> uh, he, he kind of told me, he was like, oh, because back then it was all metal bands in Shannon. All. He was like kind of taken aback that like within six metal bands, there'd be like one band who just didn't do any of that. And he was big into Earth. And I remember him coming up mm. to me and being like, I bought a Big Muff. I bought a Big Muff, which is a fuzz pedal. And uh, mm. I was like, oh, cool. And uh, I, I think uh, I think even then, I think we kind of maybe saw creatively eye to eye in a way that awkward teenagers can't express. But uh, yeah, I did, <laughs> I did music back then. And then in college, I made music uh, on my own because I, I lived at home. I would have maybe made a little bit with my brother. And... Uh, I kind of like for our recording projects, me, me and Joe went to college together. We like recorded stuff and we kind of knew we liked the same kind of music and we kind of started working on stuff. So we'd no drummer. So we did the first cruiser singles as um, me, my friend Laura on bass and vocals and Joe on guitar and vocals, uh, me playing lead guitar and then a program drum thing that we would play along to live and we recorded okay. it that way, like a kind of more indie big black. And then I moved to Japan for that year and Joe and I sent each other demos and stuff and then when we got back, we started recording stuff and we had like Steve joined us on drums. Uh, he lived with Jerome, we asked him and Tom initially played bass and then Rachel Drennan joined us afterwards. So that band really started back in like 2014, if you want to think of it that way, uh, which is a fucking really long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we started, we started just recording. They worked out in the learning hub and uh, we would record probably a single every few months and put it out that way. We just record it all live, all the amps in the room, band in the room, overdub the vocal, mix it for a week and then put it out. It's kind of a really fast thing, kind of a bit of a purist thing. We were just documenting ourselves really. And uh, then we did the album probably about two years ago, did an EP, no, probably three years ago. Lockdown takes time off of me. And then uh, did the last EP two years ago and are kind of on the cards about doing, and we have another album written, but it's about trying to get people together and see what, see what we want to do. Mm. Uh, and then the other projects, um, I kind of started a new band recently enough, which is just kind oh, of a, a psych rock band. Uh, they're called the Personal Vanity Project. Uh, we're a Zell <laughs> band. 
Uh, and so it's three of us. So it's it's me on guitar and vocals, and then Brendan from Leading Heart Pigeons on drums, and James plays keys. Uh, and that's really fun. And then La Pizza Galaxy is like an electronic group I do, which is kind of improvised dance music. Kind of all of it, all of it, my role is always fairly improvisation based. Like I like writing songs, but I don't like writing them too much, you know? I, I like having like gaps. Yeah, yeah. Spaces you can kind of play around with. And... Yeah. I, 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 I don't really like seeing a band do the same show exactly the same four times in a row. I like, I don't, I don't really get no, the indication from that. Who the fuck does? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Some I, I've seen bands who've played the same set for two years, like straight, and they've gotten phenomenally good at that set. But I'm like, I would literally crack up. I would be glassing other people on stage. I'd be fucking buying glasses at them. I'd have a breakdown. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, mm. I, I, I always have to have some element of chance or something to keep it engaging for me. And I feel like it's maybe more engaging for the audience because uh, they might see me go down in flames, and maybe that's a bit exciting. You know, yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's like, oh no, maybe there. he's completely fucked himself, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I personally, that's that's something I've always enjoyed. Um, mm. I, I, I feel like it's also kind of what helps me as a producer is I'm, I prefer working on the fly. So when someone says, "Oh, what should I do for the chorus?" you know, my brain will probably decide something in thirty seconds, and that'll be my only idea. <laughs> <laughs> you should do First exactly and this, last. and then when they go, "No," I'm like. <laughs> Well, then I'm out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. I gave you my idea. <laughs> yeah, I gave you my idea. My one idea. Yeah. Not my fault it isn't good. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely like... Um, that's, that, I'd, I'd have a quite a similar sort of opinion, right? Of, um, of Yeah, like, like I think that's the beauty of um, like the drum, the kind of drums that I play in a way with the boys, because... You know, our songs have become quite uh, kind of uh, structured now. Like, we used to just jam. And then that's kind of evolved more and more into trying to, you know, actually write songs and actually structure songs and stuff. But I do always, I, yeah, really enjoy having, like, just those little bits and, like, especially in fills and stuff. You know, having it so that there's the song that you play and this is how it goes, but then there's little kind of bits that you can play with and, you know, do things like slightly differently each time you do it live and stuff. And that definitely makes it and like, it's exciting to see that happening live as well. Like you say, like it could, some it could go to shit or it could be the best gig ever. So there's kind of a, a tension and that kind of crap going on, which is just, uh, it's cool to watch. Like, because you, know, you go to a live band to watch a live band, not to, you know, watch just a recorded song or whatever. Mm, yeah exactly i have the cd in my car like yeah um yeah ab ab absolutely i think it's like i i had um a friend of mine recently was talking about a, a, a drummer we know and he was saying oh he's great he's so good on the kit but when we're recording it's always a pain because he can never remember his fills and i was like look that's every single drummer I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like every, every drummer is just playing the the beat, thinking about their next fill. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I do, I, I do really enjoy that. I, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the danger element. It's the same re reason people watch like extreme sports or anything like that, or even horse racing. I think like people are like, you know, they're there for it as a as a competitive thing. But there are also like there's a little bit of adrenaline going with the the danger factor. Like there's always this little thing where it's like, oh, it could, you know, it could go class. They could pull it off, or they could, you know, get wrecked basically. Um, yeah. 
I think it's it's the same musically. If I think I'm going to experience something that's genuinely unique, I think that's worth my money and my time and my interest. And if I yeah. feel like I'm being completely pandered to with this totally pre-made thing that's like, you will like this, I'm probably such a difficult person that I probably won't like it. I know, I know I've, I've found a few times as well, there's like the kind of, the sort of the, the beauty of when something goes wrong, but then the way that it's fixed live, it can be really, can be really cool to watch or, or be a part of at least anyway. Like, like I remember a couple, like a couple of times we'd be playing live and, you know, like, I don't know, like a Valley of Art, for instance, you know, we're playing one of our songs and it's kind of a jam song anyway, but um, we got like the middle section, I think. And it got, we, we're going to like into this build up section going towards going into the, the reprise of the first riff sort of thing. And Nanto's bass just just disappeared. <laughs> like I looked over and he was just like <laughs> fucking with his amp, like, oh shit. I was like, looked at Alex, he's like, oh. And, but me, so me and Alex just kind of automatically had this sort of like, just nodded, like, just keep going, <laughs> you know? And we and then turned it into a bit of a kind of like jam. And then saw, like, heard the, the bass coming back in and then brought it back around and finished off the song. And I was like, that's fucking so cool because. Yeah, it just it makes it a completely That's very well experience. done, to be honest. That's that's impressive. I was very happy. Like, with that, I, yeah. I I that that is. I have you ever had one of those? Um, maybe Ryan, you've uh, you've seen one. Is like you know the gig where everything goes wrong, like <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the springs come out of the amp, like everything falls apart, like yeah. the stage catches fire. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a gig like that. Have you? Um, I don't think we've had one where everything has gone wrong. Definitely think like there's. By most gigs, I think at least something goes wrong, doesn't it? Like I've had, like the like, there's definitely been a couple of quite standout sort of things going wrong. Like I've had, there's two times where I've had skins break. Um, one of those was the bass drum. That was the very end of the song, thank fuck. At the very end of the set as well, I think. So that was okay. But um, yeah, there's one like, one gig in Cork where like the tom just bust <laughs> in like the middle of the set, like ah oh, bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just kind of like. Kind of like someone help, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and uh, but I feel so bad. Like, I think the drums are a bit simpler though. Like, I feel, I feel so bad whenever anything goes wrong with Alex because there's so many things. Like, he's got a whole chain of like pedal board, and he's got like you know the amp, and like there's leads everywhere, and people are looking at you, and you're just like, what's the problem? <laughs> How do I find it? <laughs> It's the worst. I, I, I had a gig in the roundy where the power kept going on the socket, so my pedal board kept cutting in and out. And uh, I got so frustrated during the show, uh, I pulled the pedal board and I went straight into the amp. And then the amp started cutting in and out. Oh, so Jesus. I like just was so annoyed. I was like going into a solo or something and I like, slapped the guitar off the fucking thing as hard as I could. And I broke the switch on the guitar. So now the guitar was totally dead. And then uh, Arthur Posse, Arthuritis, like literally had to run up with a new guitar for me that I then retuned without a tuner on stage and played the rest of the show with because we play in alternate tunings like constantly. Yeah. And it was it was hellish. It was it was um it, it was like being a little baby on stage. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was shook for a, yeah. I was I was shook for a couple of days about how badly that went. I was like yeah. that. Oh, it's short of like me like wetting myself on stage. I'm not sure it could have been worse. Um, but it's grand. It humbled you. If you thought you were hot shit, you know, you're not. All, all that has to happen is that a fuse goes and you're fucked. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's how you deal with the problem. 
is is like very yeah. badly is how I dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hopped it off the app. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I had a little tanty on stage and I paid for it. Um, it's a little life lesson. <laughs> yeah, sure. In in the that gig in Cork where, where everything went wrong, wrong for Alex, I had like my ma in the crowd, like drunk, shouted like, "Come on, lads!" Fucking, what are you doing? <laughs> I, was, I was just like saying, I was singing behind the drums, just like, oh, mom, come on, like, God, mom, yeah. <laughs> mother, stop, mother, yeah. you're making it go back in. <laughs> oh god, absolutely fucking yeah. nightmare. Yeah, no, fuck that. Uh, yeah, no, any anything like that, technical disasters, they're always funny later, but they're never funny at the time. No, uh, no. But yeah, I suppose like music wise, what I've been working on, I've just been writing songs because like, what else can you do? I think mm. you've been kind of the same way. I think most musicians are the same way, kind of tentatively preparing music for when there could be the option of doing anything with it. Yeah, and definitely depending on the setup as well. I, I, like I know there's a lot of people that rely on renting uh, practice spaces and stuff, which is absolutely bollocks. But then other bands like we have like you know our practice space is like in a gaff. So as long as we're all available, we can kind of do that. So there's definitely like some people have kind of luckier sort of setups like that. Sure. Yeah. Like the shaking guys all live in one house together. So they have one room set aside for a practice mm, room. Right. And uh, yeah, exactly. That, that's perfect. Literally, like all you have to do is go down to the kitchen and grab your guitar player. That's that's what you want. Um, but like, yeah, definitely. If you're relying on practice spaces and stuff, I mean, the cork ones being gone, that's a huge blow. Yeah, fucking um, hell, man. Yeah, and that crazy. also has me and Dermot thinking in DIYLK terms what we can do about creative spaces in Limerick mm. and what we could do about having sustainable spaces. Because obviously it's great that people run these as a commercial enterprise and we'd be stuffed without them. But also, like, you do you really want to be relying on whether or not a business is viable in order to have a place to make art? Yeah. yeah. Do you know, I don't yeah. think it would be considered too acceptable in the visual arts, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. Like that that's something like like me and Alex have definitely been we've been talking about this a few times and I'm sure other people have as well, is like yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Like and the like in Limerick there's like there's so many empty buildings everywhere, you're like surely one of these, you know, we can, you know, turn this into a practice space or something, do you know? No, no, no. You see that yeah, that's like you definitely could. It's just a lack of will and um maybe a lack of like pressure put on on the relevant bodies to make it happen. So we're talking about organizing to do that, to try and set up some sort of legal arrangement where um, an unoccupied building could be used. Because, I mean, being real, like offices, like who the fuck is going back to work? Who is commuting back in from town into the center of the Yeah, no work? one. No one. Nobody. Yeah. That, so, that is gone. And considering the amount of huge projects that were going on that were office space-based projects, like office developments, in even Limerick alone, it's it's um it's absurd to think that all of those projects will just be left dead. Like mm-hmm. it seems unbelievably wasteful and trite. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose um that pretty much covers everything I wanted to talk about, I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Unless there's anything in particular that you want to touch on. Yeah. Any plugs? Uh now any I want like, to get onto my radical uh, political views. <laughs> Do I want to plug anyone? Um I hadn't thought about that. Uh, Any shout-outs? I mean, <laughs> uh, shout-outs. <laughs> uh, I suppose uh, the 
I'm going to say this properly so it's not a load of ams so you can edit this coherently. Uh, so shout outs would be um, uh, Phil Negrena. The documentary should be coming out in the next six months, hopefully. We're hoping to run an online festival in August with some other things. The plans aren't set yet, but it's free. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, all of the organizations I've mentioned are volunteer based. So anyone who wants to get involved in DOLK or Phil Negrena is more than welcome to drop us a line. Uh, shout outs to Marty Ryan from Anna's Anchor for also always putting in a huge amount of work in local music. Um, shout out to Enzo's for great chips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I yeah. Uh, my only real thoughts are I'm looking forward to a good gig again. I'm looking forward to going to like the Roundy. Uh, Plugged in Cork would be another place I would shout out. Uh, holy. Uh, on show in um, Camden Street in Dublin also. I've had many a good tiny box room show there. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it all again. You know, I'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things creatively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like regardless of, of everything everything else, it's like, just want a gig. I also want to go to a gig. You know? Class. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I, miss, I miss gigs way more than I miss pubs. And that's obviously yeah. a clear bias, but like, Pub, pubs for me were always a vehicle for gigs it's just mm. where we're allowed to do it in ireland um and i know some people now have kind of had different ideas about whether or not that should be the way but uh until we get stages built in all the libraries and coffee shops uh we'll have to accept that you know gigs are in pubs largely and yeah i'm just looking forward to getting to to do that and have that kind of communal experience again for sure for sure sweet as a nut i know we bueno. Alrighty yeah, then. Pleasure. All right. All right. Okay, Ryan, how are you feeling, buddy? Um, rough. <laughs> oh. You poor thing. I noticed you went quiet, and I was like, I'm not sure now if this is just a, if this is just a hangover or because we're just talking exclusively music stuff. No, hangover. Pure hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, the- get some disparin yeah. and some fizzy water. You'll feel okay. Yeah. Aye. Stay naked. Oh. <laughs> Stay naked. Stay naked. Stay, naked. Stay naked. I'm just going to go for like a four-hour nap in the shower or something. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. A nice, a nice, uh, a nice sit down in the shower. Do you ever sit down in the shower when you're feeling mm. that? Yeah, I did it this morning. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> go back in right now. <laughs> I actually did. F- Okay. I actually did fall asleep for like 15-20 minutes and I was like, imagine I just woke up and I was drowned. Imagine I just killed myself there accidentally, like, you know? Come on, Ryan. This would have been a whole different podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you talking uh, to a drowning boys, one? Boys, I'm going to cook, some, uh, I'm gonna cook some chicken thighs for dinner. Nice. Okay. Help. Yeah, I'm going to cook some chicken. But uh, thanks for having me on, lads. I really appreciate it. Hi, man. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 